Hey guys, welcome to That Florida Feeling. How is everybody this week? I hope you're doing good. I hope your week hasn't been as chaotic as mine. It's currently midnight and I'm recording this podcast because I have to go to work in two hours. Um, I hope you guys are having a better week than me. I appreciate everybody who interacted with the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok pages. You guys are simply awesome. I love that most of us are okay to fly and most of us like Scrabble. I actually didn't expect Scrabble to win. I kind of thought it would be Monopoly or Life. So I was kind of surprised at that, but I'm glad that that I'm not the only one who really likes Scrabble. And thanks for participating in the polls and questions. You guys are awesome. And I thought it was fun to do the Visit Florida little, like, which do you like better thing. I always think those are fun to see other people's answers. Like, how much do we have in common? (laughs) Thank you for listening this week, guys. Um, So today I want to talk about something that I find really interesting. Um, Because to me, it really is Florida. And of course, we know that Florida has a long and interesting history for being in a relatively young country. I mean, let's face it, the United States is not that old, but Florida, Florida's pretty old. Um, The state of Florida history goes back much further than the actual U.S., which means that, of course, Florida's history isn't all sunshines and and sandy shores. And of course, Florida's control has changed hands many times, which means that it's seen many battles and conflicts along the way. Florida was involved in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, And it even had a war all on its own. Florida was the site of the Seminole Wars in Florida. And I'm not going to talk about the Seminole Wars today because that's like a multi-episode podcast. But I'm going to talk about who were the Seminoles. Where did they come from? And what led up to these Seminole Wars? So first I'm going to explain just a brief overview of the Seminole Wars. And then we're going to talk about who the Seminoles were. The Seminole Wars were actually... Three military conflicts between the U.S. and the Seminole tribe in Florida. And I say three military conflicts. I mean, there was like a war, an interim, a war, an interim. And so it was like three major conflicts, but like a bunch of little things in between. And these wars took place over a long period of time. They took place from 1816 to 1858. The Seminoles had been on their land for a long time when the U.S. came in and wanted them to leave because, of course, expansion. They wanted the land. And the Seminoles were not about to give up their land peacefully, and I applaud them for that. Um, You know, the Seminoles had actually been in the area since the Spanish claimed Florida as a territory. Um, So, you know, it was technically theirs. But who were these people that fought so fiercely for the land? Where did they come from? And do they still exist today? And no, I'm not going to talk about the USF Seminoles. Not USF. Wow, I totally messed that up. FSU. Man, it is midnight. It is midnight, you guys. Keep that in mind. (laughs) And I apologize to the FSU fans for just saying that. So, Spanish Florida was established in the 1500s when their explorers stepped foot onto it. I mean, it's Spain. As soon as they stepped foot onto something, a flag went down and bam, that's theirs. Didn't matter who was there. And of course, when Spain came to Florida, they introduced a lot of things. They established towns, brought in garrisons created missions to help people, but they also introduced a lot of disease to the indigenous people that caused a steep decline in their population. The Appalachian Tecusta people actually settled in missions that were across North Florida that the Spanish had founded just because their population declined so much and so fast that, you know, they kind of had to regroup. Um, and the missions and the indigenous people made it work. Um, they kind of made it work with Spain, with Spain. And of course, Spain actually didn't have a relatively, 
you know, tight control over Florida outside of Pensacola and St. Augustine. And so this really helped everyone keep peace. You do your thing. We'll do our thing. We don't really get in each other's way. We understand that the other's here. And then, you know, it was kind of like a, a easy peace treaty. Like everybody just kind of made it work. And it did work until the British. And of course, the British came along and they just had to mess with everything. So when the British came, they began to raid the missions and towns, which began to actually hurt the Spanish and native populations. Um, the raids led to a massive conflict with the natives. Um, the British and the natives just did not get along. And, and I can understand why. I mean, if you're just going to go out there raiding people, I wouldn't like you either. So it, it really kind of started when the English settlers began to consistently get in these conflicts because they wanted to expand. They wanted to expand and they wanted to take their land. And this really started when the people coming from the original 13 colonies kind of started to move south into Florida, especially when the British took over control of Florida. And of course, as these people were pushed out of their land, they began to come to Florida. And the majority of these refugees were the Muscogee, or the Creek Indians from Georgia and Alabama. And this started in the 1700s. The Muscogees, the Tequesta, the Appalachee, they were in the panhandle. And, you know, their numbers had been dwindling due to all these new diseases that they, they weren't used to and they had no idea what was going on. And then there's this land expansion. And so they kind of started to come together. They kind of started to create a new culture and a new chiefdom. And this is kind of where we get the beginning of the Seminoles. Now, of course, this is happening in the 1700s. And so in the mid-1700s, small bands of various Native American tribes from Southeast began to, from Southeast U.S., really began to, to do, you know, lay claim to these unoccupied lands. And, of course, I'm talking a lot of the panhandle because, let's face it, Spain really only controlled Pensacola at one end and St. Augustine on the other. And there's like kind of that northern border with, the 13 colonies. So, I mean, people really kind of began to move into the Panhandle and a little bit towards Central Florida. And, you know, that was, they were going to claim new land. Um, in 1715, the Yamasee moved into Florida and they became allies of Spain because they had had so many conflicts with the province of Carolina. And the province of Carolina, by the way, is modern day North Carolina, South Carolina, parts of Georgia, and part of Tennessee. So they were moved from all these lands and just kind of came south just to get away from these people. The Upper and Lower Creek people had also come to move into Florida from Georgia as well. The Miccosukee people also moved into Florida. And these Miccosukee people more like settled in the area about Lake Miccosukee near Tallahassee. And if I'm mispronouncing these guys, I'm really sorry. I tried to do some research on how to it's midnight. I try to do research on how to say things, and sometimes the southern accent just doesn't, doesn't quite let you get it. So as these groups continued to move into Florida, um, there was a lot of them. There's a lot of different ones, a lot of different little tribes and chiefdoms that began to do their own thing. And there was a group led by a certain individual called Cowkeeper, and they actually settled in modern-day Alachua County. And this is where the Spanish kind of began raising their cattle. Um, and they'd been doing that since they got here in the 1600s. And... So the Spanish in the area kept calling the people Cimarrones, which is the wild ones or the runaways. And if you listen to Cimarrones, it kind of sounds like Seminoles. And so it might have been the origin word to what we call the Seminoles. And of course, the name was eventually given to other groups in Florida. Even though each tribe had their own distinction, the Spanish kind of grouped them together in this Cimarrones. And it kind of made, you know, that's kind of how they got their own the Seminoles. 
They were all grouped together because there were all these refugees and runaways and just trying to survive and make it on their own again and really not get their land taken away from them and not cause trouble. They just wanted to live. So, in the 1730s, Spain did something kind of awesome. They brought a change about. They established a policy that would provide refuge to any runaway slave And they did this as an attempt to strengthen their colony and hurt the English. Because, of course, the English use slave trade and slave labor. Because they're those kind of people. And, of course, most slaves didn't want to be slaves. So, they were looking for any way to escape. And when Spain started putting out this policy, hey, if you can make it to Florida, you're free. All you got to do is come down here. All you got to do is join us. All you got to do is be Catholic. You know, people went for it. People escaped into Florida by the hundreds over the next few decades. Actually, a lot of them settled at Fort Most in St. Augustine. But some actually went and lived among the Seminoles. And the Seminoles actually treated the runaways with varying levels of equality. Kind of like they understood how it felt to be pushed out of their own land. And so, of course, as the people started to run away, um, the numbers actually increased during the American Revolutionary War that was happening in the colonies because there was so much confusion as to what was going on, who was for who, who didn't want to be there, who wanted to be there. And so this actually helped people escape in larger numbers. And as this happened, it actually became more common to see the blacks living with the Seminoles. And some even lived independently near the Seminole towns. One such was Negro Fort on the Apalachicola River. And it was an independent town in northern Florida made up of runaway slaves. And the presence of these runaway slaves um, was actually (laughs) seen as a threat to the southern states. So after the U.S. won the war, They became their own country. States were established. And, of course, the southern states still used and believed in slave labor. And so, um, as these slaves stayed in Florida, lived in Florida, with the Seminoles and the Spanish and, you know, whoever else supported them, the southern states saw that this was a problem. They thought that this meant that the Seminoles were inciting or helping the slaves to escape. Now, I'm not saying they weren't. I hope they did. But this is how the Southern people saw it. They they saw it as a threat to slavery. They were threatening their way of life. They were trying to take their human property, which people who think like that are just asses. But they thought that the Seminoles were stealing their human property, and so they, they had a problem with it. And the plantation owners began to organize raids repeatedly into Spanish Florida, and they would capture African American slaves that they were accused of being escaped slaves, They would take them back. They would harass the Seminole villages. They would raid them. They would raise them to the ground. They would really, you know, just really become a nuisance. And so the Seminoles got tired of this, and I don't blame them. You know, we were existing peacefully without you, and now you're trying to bother us again. So what did they do? They would cross into U.S. territory, and they would stage surprise raids of their own. Yeah, we're not going to do this. We're going to, you know, we're tired of your crap. And that lasted a long time. Um... So eventually Spain lost control of Florida and the British came to take control of Florida in the 1770s. And they actually accused the Seminoles. They accused the Seminoles of raiding their own settlements, but then they began to use the Seminoles to raid the settlements in Georgia because now the the British people in Florida were against the colonies because they had fought to get them. They didn't get them. Now they have control of Florida. They're next to the colonies. Now they want the Seminoles to go raid the colonies. So as that happened... Um, more people escaped. 
more slaves escaped into Florida, which really only added to the growing Seminole population. So not only did they go to St. Augustine, but they continued to go and live among these Seminoles and create their own little towns. And then the British saw that this was actually hurting the colonies. So the British started to promise slaves freedom if they would fight for them during their wars. So due to these events with the raids and the promises of freedoms, more slaves escaped. The Seminoles were being used to raid things against the U.S. And eventually the Seminoles became an official enemy of the new United States. And if it was me, the way the U.S. was treating them, I'd probably be happy to be your enemy. Now, of course, we know that Florida couldn't stay hands under the British for long, so eventually there was return to Spain in 1783, right after the American Slavery War had gotten over, and other wars had proceeded to happen. Um, And, of course, when Florida's return to Spain, they kept light control. They didn't really do much. They only kept garrisons in St. Augustine, Pensacola, and St. Mark's. They didn't patrol the border. They didn't do raids. They didn't, you know, it was just, it was their territory. It was ours. It's like, it's like, it's mine. I may not use it, but it still means it's mine. It's that little kid mentality. Um, so when Florida got back under Spanish control, a lot of things were happening in Florida. A lot of things were changing. There was, of course, there was the British that were still in Florida, the Spanish that were still in Florida, the Seminoles who were trying to do their own thing, the U.S. that was trying to raid Florida. And so there was a lot of confusion. And as this progressed, and it meant that Spain didn't have actual control over Florida, a very interesting thing happened. The state of Muskogee uh, was actually established in that Florida territory under Spain. And you're like, what is the state of Muskogee? I've never heard of this. I'm going to tell you. The state of Muskogee was actually a proclaimed sovereign land in Florida. It was founded in 1799. The state was actually led by William Augustus Bowles. Now, Bowles was a loyalist veteran of the American Revolutionary War, but he lived among the Muscogee. He actually envisioned uniting the American Indians of the Southeast into a single nation that would help resist expansion of the newly formed United States. He didn't want the United States. He had lived among the tribes, and he knew that they deserved their land and their freedom, and he wanted to give them a place. He wanted to see his vision include the Cherokees, the Creeks, the Choctaws, the Chickasaws. And I mean, that expanded from Florida all the way up into Georgia and Alabama. He wanted this to be a huge united state. And I personally, I think that's pretty cool, especially for the 1799s or the 1790s. Now, who was Bowles? I mean, who was he? He was a Maryland loyalist who was stationed in Pensacola. He joined at 13. He was there until he was stripped of his position due to insubordination. Now, I looked. I couldn't figure out what he did. Um, Who knows what he did. But he got kicked out at the age of 14. And he left Pensacola. And he ended up living with the Muscogee of Tallapusi and the Apalachicola. And he did this at the age of 14. And as he lived with them, he obviously became fluent in their language. He was a respected member. He even took Cherokee and Hitchi Muscogee wives. He actually became heir to a Muscogee chiefdom. He married one of the chief's daughters. So this man was, he was all in for it. Like, he respected these people. He lived with these people. He wanted these people to be free. He was well integrated in the Muscogee. And he even led a band of Creek warriors at the battle uh, at the village. And then at the Battle of Pensacola in 1781. And, of course, this is when the British were trying to take over 
uh, Florida. They were trying to raid Spanish Florida and, or keep Florida from Spain. No, that was it. It was keep Florida from Spain. Um, because it's really strange. If you look at our, our history, um, there was a lot of little battles in Florida that, that kind of correspond with a war, but then some were just people pissed off and having battles. And this was when Spain was trying to take Florida back from the British because they got them back two years later in 1783. And so it's just, it's one of these little skirmishes that happened. These two skirmishes that he, where he led the band of Creek warriors. And of course, as he did this, he also developed a lifelong friendship with one of the Upper Creek Chiefs, Alexander McGillivary. Now, if you're thinking that does not sound very Native American, it, it is, but it isn't. Alexander McGillivary is interesting. I couldn't find a lot of information on him, but I did find that he had a Muscogee mother and a Scottish father. And he was now a chief. I think that's pretty cool. So, Bowles had made all these friends, all these enemies, and... As soon as the Spanish won over West Florida, he left. He went to the Bahamas. He was now kind of in trouble. He needed to run. So he left, went to the Bahamas, did his thing for a couple years, got in kind of the fur trade, and he eventually came back to Muskogee as part of the Indian fur trade. He actually developed the idea of the American Indian state while he was in the Bahamas as he was coming back to work for different... So he worked for one trade company, and he switch sides, so to say, for, to a rival trade company. And this is when he came back to the Muscogee. This man had a very interesting life. It's very confusing, but I'm going to attempt to explain it. Now, of course, as he comes back to be part of the Muscogee in Florida, he attempted to capture a rival fur trade store. And in doing so, he now became a fugitive of Spain because Spain had taken back over. And so as he became a fugitive, he had to go on the run again. So he went to Nova Scotia, the Bahamas, England, stayed in the lower Chattahoochee River Basin. And as he did his travels, he began to make new friends, pick up support for this new free state of Muscogee, and as well as keep the fur trade moving. Now he eventually comes back to Florida again, and he led a large band of Muscogee warriors to capture and loot a store in San Marcos de Appalachia, which is now a state park in Wakula County. Side note, that is a really cool state park. There are um, architectural ruins. It's kind of a fun place to walk around. I'll talk about it in another podcast, but I just had to give it a shout out. <laughs> so as he goes to capture and loot this store, um, he does. He actually captures it, and he tried to negotiate with the Spanish. All he wanted them to do was to listen. He wanted them to listen about having a free state of Muskogee. You know, he didn't, he didn't necessarily, I mean, he did want their stuff, but he didn't want their stuff. He just wanted them to listen, but they didn't listen. They didn't. They captured him. And they wanted him far away from Florida because he had come back so many times. So they sent him as far away as they could. He started out in Cuba and ended up in Manila in the Philippines. But that, you know, just because he's in the Philippines does not mean he's not going to try and come back. And he tried a few unsuccessful times to get back from Florida, but he finally did. He stopped over in England and then in Nassau, and he gained more followers for this free state. Like, people are on board with this. And he's still, this is still his dream. So he arrived back in Florida in 1799. He came up the Apalachicola Bay. And when he did so, he decided it was time. He declared himself Director General and Commander-in-Chief of the Muscogee Nation. And on October 31st, he issued a proclamation. His first proclamation is Director General, Commander-in-Chief, whatever you want to call yourself. 
He issued that the treaty from 1796 between the U.S. and Spain was void because it ignored the Indians' sovereign rights over Florida. This was their land. They had been here. It didn't matter that, you know, the Spanish and the U.S. wanted it. It was their land. And he, he claimed that void. It was not their land. It was his land now. And as he's doing so, he also threatened war against the U.S. unless they returned the Muscogee lands that they had taken illegally. He also issued a death sentence against George Washington's Indian agent, Benjamin Hawkins, who had been there to kind of keep peace. Now, Bowles had the support of the Seminoles and the Lower Chattahoochee Creeks when he made these statements because, let's put it nicely, he bought them off. Uh, he gave them generous donations of gunpowder to each tribe. He also promised a lot more as they would continue to raid settlements. Um, he also defied American plantation owners by welcoming runaway slaves, and that, of course, created a lot of support from the black Seminoles. So this man had has now established the state. He has made his proclamations. He tells people what he wants, and all he wants is for them to be free and to have their land. Well, the Spanish, the Spanish didn't want to hear it. So they attacked the town of Miccosukee. And basically all they did was force the town of Miccosukee to go from where it was to um, just northeast of present-day Tallahassee. It used to be on the shores of Lake Miccosukee. Now it, is, now it was located just northeast of present-day Tallahassee. And of course, they just rebuilt. The town was ruled by Miko Kanachi. Um, and he, that was, that's actually Bull's father-in-law. That was his father-in-law and his most powerful ally. And of course, as the town reset up, they had several administrators that actually came from the Bahamas to support this new government. You know, everybody supported these people having their own land. And as they built the state and this new town, um, they actually built an army and they even built a navy <laughs> that included three ships. And they actually used these ships to attack the Spanish off the coast of Florida like they were serious. They wanted their freedom. In August of 1800, the Spanish actually set out to destroy the new town of Miksuki, but of course... It's the Panhandle. They're swamps, and they got lost along the way. They turned back, and they didn't succeed that time. Now, in 1802, Bowles led a large force of Seminoles, Black Seminoles, fugitive slaves, white pirates, and Spanish deserters that all came from Pensacola, and they were going to lay siege on San Marcos. And they were doing really good until the Spanish Navy showed up and forced them to retreat. So this man is actually making headway. He's supporting his state. He is keeping it. He is showing that they have force, that they are you're serious about what they're doing. And it lasted. It lasted um, up until about 1802. Um, the, the Treaty of Amens that actually happened between Britain, France, and Spain that kind of all said, okay, let's just stop fighting, um, left Bowles kind of discredited because there were no more hostiles. He couldn't turn people on each other. And that happened in 1802. And then eventually the Seminole signed a peace treaty with Spain in August. Um, so, in 1803, the U.S. and Spain decided that they had had enough. Uh, Bowles is still out there running around, still wanting this free state, still trying to make it happen. And, you know, he didn't have the British support, and U.S. and Britain and Spain weren't all fighting. So, the U.S. and Spain really just kind of decided that they were done with it. They wanted to take this man out. So, Benjamin Hawkins, the same one that George Washington had as an Indian agent, actually led a trap for Bowles at a tribal council in the town of Tuckabachi, um, Bowles came to this meeting, this council, and he was captured and delivered to the Spanish governor in Pensacola. He was imprisoned in Havana. They wanted him out of Florida. He was taken to Havana, and he later died two years later in 1805. 
The state of Muskogee was a great attempt at a true freedom for the Seminoles. And it also showed Spain's inability to control Florida. I mean, if nothing else, it showed Spain's inability to control the interior of Florida. People just run around doing what they want. And so, eventually the U.S. did take over Florida. And that's really kind of where the Seminole Wars start. That's where they wanted their land for expansion. And they were moving them around and out. And that's really where... That's really where the the dark part of Florida's history kind of picks up. Um, And I will talk about it more in a podcast. But today we're really just talking about who these these people are who have... Who banded together in a dark moment. Who survived a lot of raids and wars and disease. And kind of really created their own new culture. And they do still exist today. And I don't just mean FSU. I got it right that time. I don't just mean FSU. The Seminoles actually still live in Florida and in Oklahoma today. And there are three federally recognized tribes that exist today. The Seminole Nation of Oklahoma, the Seminole Tribe of Florida, and the Miccosukee Tribe of Indians of Florida. Now, the Seminole Tribe of Florida is actually headquartered in Hollywood, Florida. So, Hard Rock, Hollywood, in Florida, that's that's kind of their thing. Um, And they actually have several reservations, such as Big Cypress, Brighton Reserve, Fort Pierce Reservation, which I have seen, Hollywood Reservation, Imalaki Reservation, and they have the Tampa Reservation, which is over, again, Hard Rock, Tampa. So they do still exist. They still exist in large capacities. Um, The Miccosukee Tribe has the Miccosukee Tribe Reservation, which is 333 acres, on the northern border of the Everglades National Park, about 45 miles west of Miami. So they do still exist in Florida. They still live in South Florida. And if nothing, it's shown their resilience. Um, And I did some research uh, really to see, and they do still do their, they still have their traditions and, you know, they live on their reservations and they have their ways of life and they really have made it. They've survived all these people wanting to take their land and trying to, you know, claim their culture. And so I think it's great. I think that, you know, I think that the Seminoles absolutely had a right to stage those wars, which we'll talk about in another podcast. And I think it's absolutely cool that, you know, the Seminoles welcomed in other tribes or created the Seminoles out of other tribes and runaway slaves. And they adapted and they made it. And so I just wanted to share with you guys today about um, who the Seminoles were, where they came from, and where they are now. I'm not going to talk about Florida Man because I think Bowles was kind of one of the OG Florida men with all of his wreaking havoc and doing what he wanted. So thank you guys for listening this week. Um, Don't forget to check out the Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook pages. Um, If you guys just want to say hi, I would love that. I love that we share the memes about Florida. Congrats to the Florida Panthers who are moving on to the next part of the Stanley Cup. I hope that everyone has a great week. Don't forget to wear your sunscreen because it is becoming summer and it is hot out there, y'all. So don't forget to also drink your water. Be nice. Do something nice for someone. And as always, guys, that's your daily dose of sunshine.